Welcome to this episode of We Believe You, advocacy, resources, and healing around interpersonal trauma. I'm Casey. And I'm Jessica. And I'm Marie. And you're listening to episode number five, Is Counseling Right for Me? But before we get started, I want to offer a caveat, which is that I firmly believe that not everyone who has a trauma history needs therapy. This is about personal choice. So if it is one you're thinking about, here are some things to ruminate upon. To begin our conversation today, I want to talk to someone who has sought help for interpersonal violence and other mental health issues. When he found out what we were doing on this podcast, he was quick to volunteer to talk about what counseling experiences he's had and what it's been like for him. I'm joined by Connor McFarland, a senior at CSU and a member of the Victim Assistance Team, our 24-hour hotline, the Red Whistle Brigade, a peer education troop, and our Survivor Speakers Bureau. So thanks for joining us, Connor. Yeah, of course. I'm excited. Yeah. (laughs) So as you know, you are well connected with the WJAC. One of our pillars is making sure that we are approaching things from an intersectional lens, that we're social justice focused. Would you mind sharing with the listeners a little bit about your salient identities? Yeah, absolutely. Um, So I identify as a white, middle-class, transgender individual. I also identify as queer, and I have bipolar disorder and a chronic illness, so I also identify as disabled. Awesome. Thank you so much for sharing. Yeah, of course. So the first question we have about counseling today is, what did you find helpful about counseling? Yeah, so I've been in counseling for 13 years now. So I think that one of the things that I have found the most helpful over the years is that I tend to be somebody who bottles all of my emotions up until they like come exploding out. Um, And so having like a space where I go to once a week or once every other week where I really have to sit down and be like open and honest with somebody um, about where I'm at and what I'm feeling. Um, I think that not only helps you like articulate those things to somebody else um, and like that communication piece is really important and feeling like somebody else is hearing you and like bearing witness to things that can be really difficult. Um, But it also really helps you be honest with yourself about where you're at um, because it's really easy to lie to yourself when you're like alone and you don't actually have to talk about what you're feeling. Yeah. What has made you nervous in the past and maybe still makes you nervous about engaging in therapy? So when I was in high school, I think I was just going through so many things that I was nervous that a therapist would like judge me or I knew that there were some unhealthy coping mechanisms that I was using and I didn't want to be told to stop using them. And it can be kind of nerve wracking to be talking to somebody that you see as like a professional. Like I know that judgment can be a real big fear and kind of a barrier for some people. And it was more like the fact that I didn't want to be like analyzed. I wanted to be treated like a person and Mm. not like a set of symptoms that needed to be like corrected. And I have found with a lot of my therapists that that isn't the experience. If it's a good fit, that's not the experience at all. So it sounds like counseling has helped. Can you talk about maybe how? Yeah. um, So specifically talk therapy, I'm guessing, is is kind of what yeah, in this yeah. episode, we're really focusing on that. But Perfect. Yeah. So talk therapy is, has helped me kind of, as I was saying before, like articulating my thoughts, um, being able to like talk with somebody else and feel like I'm not alone in a lot of the things that I'm dealing with. Um, and especially with the therapist that I'm seeing now, 
there's such a level of trust that's been built up between us that I kind of know like how she'll respond to things and I don't have to be afraid of sharing some pretty difficult things with her and that's like a really freeing feeling I think um I think especially like with trauma and some of the scarier things about mental illness when you go in to talk to somebody you don't know how they're going to react you know they're a new person or you might have like a distant relationship from them that's like different than a family member or a friend but being able to like build that relationship with your therapist and know that they'll have coping mechanisms for you or even that they'll just be there to like acknowledge that what you're feeling is okay is so helpful it's really helpful in making you feel like you're not alone I want to go back a second because you said talk therapy. What else do you mean by non-talk therapy? <laughs> yeah, so there's all sorts of different types of therapy that you can use. There's like therapy through meditation and mindfulness that doesn't necessarily have to do with like you saying what you're feeling, but a therapist might walk you through some exercises that get you to access emotions or thoughts on like a different level than talk therapy. Um I know there's forms of physical like massage therapy. So from what I've never done this before, but from what I understand, um, they'll like put pressure on different parts of your body or like massage you in different ways. Mm -hmm. And that can open you up to new experiences and feelings and can help the way that you store trauma in your body. It can release a lot of that stress. So yeah, so there's lots of different ways that people have found healing through therapy that isn't just sitting down and talk to somebody. Yeah, I think about sometimes the different types of animal-assisted therapy that's yeah. out there. They have some hair therapy that they do with horses. Yeah. There are drum circle therapies mm -hmm. um, that use music. There are actually music therapists out there. Yeah. There's, There's like art therapy. I've done some poetry therapy with my therapist. Awesome. Mm -hmm. That's really cool. Your yeah. therapist you're seeing now? Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> That's really cool. Yeah. It sounds like you have a good relationship. Yeah. She's awesome. So she's awesome, but I know enough from you to know that it hasn't always been awesome. So talk a little bit about what a bad fit looks like and how you navigated that. I think it was really important for me to understand the difference between feeling uncomfortable and feeling unsafe in a space. We've had points where she said something and I'm like, dang it, you're right. Like, I don't want you to be right. That makes me like mad, but it, it never made me feel unsafe to be around her. Um, but I have had therapists where I've said something and there's just something about the response that doesn't make you feel listened to or that just like, I think a lot of what, what you can tell about a bad fit with a therapist is just how they make you feel, mm -hmm. like how they make you feel in your body kind of like if you go in there and you immediately like tense up or if you get that like really tight feeling in your gut or in your chest, I think that's a pretty clear way of your body telling you that this isn't really an environment where you feel safe to talk about what's going on. Um, so that's that's been my experience or if a therapist if I just don't feel like I'm making progress it's like we've talked about the same thing for like five weeks and we're not going anywhere with it um because you can talk about the same thing for five weeks and go lots of places with it um so I think like really trusting your gut and even if it's just like I don't like the way 
Like, it's nothing about what my therapist says or does, but I just don't like the way that they talk to me. Then mm. that is totally fine and valid. Um, it's important to find somebody who, like, you can just feel that connection. Like, they really just mesh with you. So you mentioned that it's not always easy. Like, even if it's a really good fit, that it's not easy and it makes you <sighs> confront some things that maybe you're not ready to confront yet. Yes. <laughs> so have there been times when you had the desire to quit before you knew you were done? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. That actually happened with my current therapist. Um, some stuff came up in a session and I was like, I like came out of that session like crying and like I was just not ready to like hear it or deal with it. Um, and after like processing through it with some of my friends, I was like, okay, I kind of like named some needs for myself. Like, okay, I agree that this is something that I need to process, but like here is what I need in order to process these things. Like I need us to go slowly. I need X, Y, and Z. Um, and that was really helpful mm. because it's like I need I agree that we need to do this, but I need to be able to do it at my own pace. I've also had therapists before where it'll like hit a nerve or I can like just feel that I'm not ready to go there yet. And I'm usually just pretty straight up with them like, hey, I know that this is really important and we need to talk about this eventually, but like I'm not there yet and I need some more time. Then the reaction has been from them. Really good. Yeah. Um, I was really nervous about naming those needs with my current therapist. I was like, oh my gosh, what if like she thinks I'm demanding too much or what if she like doesn't agree to these like terms that I'm setting out? And she was like, yeah, absolutely. Like whatever you need, we'll take this at your pace. Like whenever you're ready to name things or not name things or like however you want to do this. Um, I think sometimes what happens is a therapist will like see something, see a need or like sense something in you that maybe you haven't seen in yourself um, and they'll name that for you and then kind of leave it out there for you to be able to process mm -hmm. however you want if that makes sense. Yeah. So that's all the questions that I actually had but do you want have any final thoughts that you want to share with the listeners? Yeah so when finding a good fit for a therapist one of the things that I do in if my therapist doesn't bring it up and they usually do but if they don't I'll name aspects of my identity that are either really important to me as far as like I need you to like see this part of me and like we're going to need to acknowledge it in our sessions or sensing their like competency mm -hmm. around like trans issues. For example, it's yeah. really important to me that my therapist has some background in trans issues or has some experience with like bipolar disorder or mood disorders. Um, that is super important and leaving a therapist because you don't feel like even if you feel like they're a good fit for trauma if you are really feeling invalidated um or not heard on aspects of your identity that is also like a completely understandable barrier to find somebody else yeah. well thank you so much for coming in yeah thank you for having me this has been awesome after listening to connor's story it is clear that counseling isn't always easy but let's take a couple of minutes to break down what you might expect from entering into this experience. Psychotherapy, more commonly referred to as therapy or counseling, should be an open, non-judgmental space to work through problems and challenges. In therapy, you may learn new coping skills, ways to deal with your feelings, and strategies for managing stress. You can also explore thoughts that you might not want to say out loud to a friend or family member. One of the first things you might look for in a therapist is do they have a trauma-informed approach? 
And what I mean by that is any program, organization, or individual practicing with a trauma-informed approach would work to realize the widespread impact of trauma and understand potential paths for recovery. They would recognize signs and symptoms of trauma in clients, families, staff, and others involved within the system. And they would respond by fully integrating knowledge about trauma into policies, procedures, and practices. All of this would help curb further re-traumatization for you, their client. To establish the goals listed above, I want to talk about a few key pieces that need to be present in a helpful therapeutic environment. The first of these pieces is safety. Before you can expect to work on deeper emotional factors, you must have a safety plan in place. And that means feeling safe with your therapist. It's okay to ask your counselor about their training, where they learned their skills, and whether or not they've personally benefited from therapy. In Bessel van der Kolk's book, The Body Keeps the Score, he notes that a trained counselor's first goal is to stabilize and calm the client, stating that feeling safe is key in confronting fear and anxiety. Learning more about their background can help you build that trust and safety. Side note, Jessica will talk more about the book I just mentioned in episode 6, our recommendation show. Talking about safety leads directly into the next factors I want to talk about, which are trustworthiness and transparency. Working with a counselor should be upfront and without surprises. Know that many competent therapists will approach working with trauma in many different ways. No one approach is the only way to work through trauma. And any therapist who believes their way is the only way is a big red flag. But that doesn't mean they won't challenge you. Therapy won't be easy. I have heard many survivors talk about how sometimes counseling makes things seem worse before they seem better. But from those same people, they also say it's worth it. To me, this means that they can trust that their counselor has their best interest in mind and that they trust the therapist to partner with them in their work. You will also need peer support throughout this process. It is critical to promote the linkage to recovery and resilience between survivors and their support systems. Part of the therapeutic relationship revolves around reconnecting the client with fellow human beings. This idea reminds me of a quote by Bell Hooks, a black feminist author, social activist, who writes about intersections of race and gender, about oppression and capitalism, who is all around a truly inspirational human being. She writes, when we choose to love, we choose to move against fear, against alienation and separation. The choice to love is a choice to connect, to find ourselves in the other. What I take this to mean is that people are connected to other people. We cannot subsist without human companionship. Having a support system is key to our survival. Additionally, I take this to mean that we have a duty to care about other human beings, to work with their flaws, to be the best support system we can. This means, as a survivor, going through this alone is antithetical to the human experience. And, to the support system, you have a duty to believe and support a survivor's experience. Counseling can help both primary and secondary supports learn to reach out and seek help from their chosen community. The next key piece centers around empowerment, collaboration, and choice. One therapeutic approach is solution-focused therapy. And in their work is the idea that the number one factor that comes up when creating change is that the client works from their strength, that the therapist works to highlight and uplift those strengths. This accounts for 40% of the success in a therapeutic relationship. Let me say that again. You, the client, are the expert of your own experience and that you have the keys to living a fuller life inside you. You get to make the choices that feel right for you. Your therapist is there to partner with you in that empowerment. The choices I am referring to here are varied. It might range from questions like, should I medicate my mental health? To, who do I include in my support system? 
A therapist will work with your strengths to help you find the best route to take, even if it's different than their other clients. They can help you see that you have the pieces already present in you to laying trauma memories to rest and to leading a more fulfilling life. The final piece to trauma-informed approach is that it may be difficult, near impossible, to find a counselor with the same identities you have. And even if you are fortunate to find that, their lived experiences will be different than your own. But a well-trained therapist will have an ethical and hopefully core commitment to practicing from a place of competency. They must be aware of their own cultural beliefs and assumptions and incorporate that awareness into their practice and decision-making with each client they work with. And you get to decide what to look for in a counselor. For Jessica, it was important to find someone who honored her spiritual self. For me, I need someone who practices within a feminist framework. You get to choose if the therapist is serving you in the ways that you need. Additionally, they should have an understanding of how systems and institutions can impact how an individual might experience oppression and how an individual might be influenced by these systems through internalized messaging. As an example, I think about the times I have heard survivors say their therapist minimized the fear that they had of telling their parents about their assault, a fear that was based in the fact that they didn't meet cultural expectations around purity because of an assault. So real talk. Even good therapists step in it from time to time. Hopefully, they approach the situation with humility and a commitment to doing better in the future. If they don't, you may decide if a different therapist would be better for you. In order for us to better understand the key pieces I just talked about from a counselor perspective, I have invited one of the therapists from the CSU Health Network to join us today. Jennifer Bransma is an alum of CSU and a trained mental health clinician who has an interest and background in working with trauma survivors. So talk to me a little bit about your approach to working with trauma survivors. I really believe that everybody has built into them um, the wisdom that they need to be able to heal and the self-understanding. And a lot of times trauma um, throws us off base and gets us gets us out of touch with our bodies and out of touch with that wisdom. And so um, my approach is very much about how we can help people get reconnected with um, that inner understanding of what it is that we need and use that to help people start moving towards their own healing. What interventions or approaches do you use with clients? I am certified to provide EMDR and I spend a lot of the first sessions with people talking about DBT um, specific strategies, which is um, dialectical behavioral therapy. Uh, the reason for the DBT is really just to help people get to a place where they're a little bit better regulated because a lot of times when people are coming in for trauma treatment, it's because they've had some kind of trigger um, or there are situations happening in their life where they're like, wow, this is outside of my ability to really be able to, to manage and regulate. And DBT skills are great for helping um, us get some of that regulation back uh, where we need it to be. And so... Um, those are a couple of the strategies that I use. And for a lot of people, art therapy or narrative therapy can be really helpful, writing down their story. Um, and honestly, in everything that I do, there's a lot of uh, strengths-based approach is what a counselor would call it. But um, that really just means getting people connected back with the places in their lives in which they feel strong and confident, um, the things in their lives that give them spark and light in life. And so that can be relationships, that can be hobbies, it can be music, um, theater, like exercise, sports, like wherever it is that people really feel um, fortified and vibrant, helping them tap into those parts of their lives in a way that helps support them through the process. Great. You mentioned a minute ago EMDR. Can you talk a little bit about what that is and sure. how you would use that? 
Yeah. Um, so eye movement desensitization reprocessing is um, a method and a theoretical orientation that came out uh, probably about 30 years ago. And um, EMDR is really focused on being able to help uh, people get reconnected, like I was describing before, with um, themselves. And so from the EMDR perspective, um, our entire self, our whole organism is affected when you experience something traumatic. And so in the same way that if you get a cut on your finger, you've got natural mechanisms to be able to heal that. Your body heals that. The belief is very much that psychologically we also have mechanisms to heal and that in the case of some traumatic situations, people can get stuck. And EMDR is designed to activate those internal systems again and help people get unstuck. Yeah, I've worked with a lot of survivors who have used EMDR and found it really helpful. So mm-hmm. I know that that can be a really powerful form of therapy. Right. Yeah. Switching gears a little bit to some of the logistics that people might have questions about. Can you talk a little bit about what the typical length of treatment might be for someone and mm-hmm. thinking about entering counseling? Yeah, that's um, tricky because it's so, so varies. It depends on what the person's goal is. Like, if somebody's just coming in and all it is that they're hoping to do is just like I'm having um, some really strong reactions to some triggers in my world and uh, it's getting in the way of me being able to be a student or be a um, sibling or be a, a friend or a partner. Um, in those cases, I'm happy to just work with a person for a couple of months um, or over a semester just to be able to kind of get together what strategies they need to be able to manage those triggers and keep them from interfering with their daily life. Um, on the other hand, like trauma work for some people is a lifelong process. They see it as integral to their um, personal development across their lifetimes. And so um, some people will come into therapy for long periods of times, months or years, and then they'll leave therapy for a while and then they'll come back whenever they feel ready. So it's very much individualized to what a person feels like they need and want to do. Um, and I really just trust in people having that inner understanding of what it is that they need in the moment. Um, and we just go with that. I hear a lot of people talking about fit when it comes to therapy. Mm-hmm. What does fit mean to you when you hear that come up in a relationship? Yeah. So fit is definitely, it's important, uh, particularly when we're talking about trauma, because of course, um, if you're talking about a traumatic situation, then you're getting into some pretty vulnerable stuff. Um, and being able to sit down with somebody where you feel like you can really tell the scary things and sometimes the um, things that come with guilt or shame um, and pain, like that's a vulnerable process. And so having a fit with your therapist just means uh, feeling like you've connected with somebody else who can really see you or really hear your story in a way that you feel safe to be able to do the process that you need to do. On the other hand, um, I think it can get confusing for some people because sometimes folks think fit means that I always feel comfortable and that's not really a fair expectation of the work of trauma. Fit doesn't mean that it's always going to be easy or smooth sailing. You also want to have somebody who's going to challenge you um, and encourage you to um, notice and lean in at the times where maybe you would want to avoid and pull back. Um, So somebody who's going to align with you um, towards what it is that you said you wanted to do is what I think of. Yeah, I think being vulnerable is really hard for people. So when they when they come up to that, that natural instinct is to like retreat. Yes. A good therapeutic relationship would be one in which you're going to be there with that urge to retreat. And like, come back. We can talk about that. What's coming up for you? Yes. (laughs) Or there's room for both of those things to happen. Like 
I'm going to hold you and be tender with you when you need, feel like you need to retreat a little bit. But I'm also going to like encourage you when you've already said, like, I know I need to do this. I know I need to lean in in this spot and I'm scared. And that that person, that therapist can show up and be like, I got you. You know, it's scary and you can do this. So what does the conversation look like? The last question I have for you is what does the conversation look like with a client who is thinking about either leaving therapy, saying like, I'm done, or for a client who's thinking about maybe switching therapists? How what does that conversation look like in a session? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so if somebody's leaving therapy, there can be a variety of reasons for that. For some people, maybe they've gotten to um, a nice a stopping point or breaking point in their process where they're ready to take a break and go do some other things and put some focus in some other parts of their life. And that's fine. Um, And then there are also times where um, people will recognize they're about to approach some material that's really tough and they're feeling pretty nervous and don't really want to get into that. Mm -hmm. Um, And so in those situations, of course, uh, it's really important that, um, you have a conversation with yourself and with your therapist about what it is that's motivating you to take a break from therapy. Because a lot of times we might think that we have a clear idea of what it is our motivation is. Um, but until you've had a really explicit conversation with somebody else about it, sometimes you maybe haven't thought it through as well as you think you have. So um, I encourage people to have a, a just an open conversation with the person that they're working with if they're thinking of taking a break. And as far as switching therapists goes, um, of course, like people should definitely uh, work with somebody that, like we said, we're saying earlier, they can um, trust to challenge them and will also like hold them with tenderness and um, and kindness when they're working on some really painful material. Um, I would encourage people to try to identify ahead of time whether or not they fit with a therapist, because if you have already started your work and started your process and then you switch therapists, um, it puts you in a situation where in a lot of ways you have to tell your story over again. And that can be a really difficult process to have to start again. So if you can identify ahead of time and maybe give less information on the front end while you're settling into the relationship, it can make it easier for when you need to switch early in the therapeutic process rather than being well down the line and feeling like you have to tell your story over such great information. Thank you so much for joining me today. I know uh, you have a very busy schedule and, and I really <laughs> think, appreciate you taking the time to talk with us and in, in our podcast for this. Yeah, thanks for having me. I really enjoyed it. Thank you. So now you've heard from both a survivor and a therapist about some of the things that might help make counseling successful. I think we'll finish up this podcast with some discussion around what to look for in a therapist and where to begin looking when you're ready. When considering therapists, look for someone who has experience with interpersonal violence. It can be helpful to know that your therapist has worked with your specific experiences. Ask about their work with other survivors of sexual assault, domestic violence, dating violence, and stalking. And how have they helped others to overcome issues to this kind of trauma? If you remember earlier in the show, I said 40% of success in counseling lives within the client's own motivation and skills. An additional 15% of that success boils down to therapeutic approach. Yes, there is science into making therapy successful. Theoretical approaches are research-based. This isn't all about amorphous feelings, contrary to popular belief. Additionally, it's important to consider the therapist's individual personality. Success in therapy depends on creating an open, honest dialogue with your therapist. It's often easier to open up when you click with your therapist's personality and style. This click, or rapport, 
accounts for another 30% of a successful experience. It's also okay to interview a few prospective therapists on the phone or have a couple of sessions before finding the right fit. It's okay to come to the first session with a list of questions you want to ask them. You have power in the room. If you're already working with someone and are concerned that you just don't click, maybe write out a list of your concerns and talk it over at your next session. Communication is important. They might be easily able to adjust to a different modality, one that works better for you. If it still doesn't work, ask for a referral. It can seem intimidating to tell a therapist you wish to leave, but remember, they're professionals, and most therapists will be able to give you a referral for another professional that might be better suited for your particular situation. But be prepared to retell your story. A new therapist won't know your personal history. You may have to retell parts of your life that you haven't addressed explicitly in a while. You're entitled to ask for a copy of your records to share with your new therapist, but it's likely they'll want to do their own assessment. Okay, so we're coming to the end of the episode, and I want to leave you with some steps for finding a therapist. Three, specifically. First, if you're a full-time CSU student, you have access to free services through our Health Network Counseling Center. You have five free sessions a semester as part of your student fees. After that, the services are offered on a sliding scale. Next, many local interpersonal violence service providers offer counseling services or can connect you with a resource in your area that are prepared to help survivors of sexual assault, dating violence, domestic violence, and stalking. In Fort Collins, we have the Sexual Assault Victim Advocate Center, who offers counseling on a sliding fee scale. More community resources can be found across the nation at RAIN.org or Substance Abuse Mental Health Services Administration, their Treatment Referral Helpline, at one 800 662-HELP. That's 1-800-662-4357. Or you can search for a local treatment center using their locator tool on their website. Finally, you can call your insurance company to find out which therapy providers are covered by your insurance plan. Many insurance websites have a locator function to help you find support near you. So that's it for this episode of We Believe You, Advocacy, Resources, and Healing Around Interpersonal Trauma. Please remember that the WGAC is here to provide support for all students, 24 hours a day, 365 days a year. To reach an advocate, you can call 970-492-4242. If you had feedback, thoughts, comments, questions, or want to be interviewed for the podcast, please email wgac at colostate.edu. That's wgac at c-o-l-o-s-t-a-t-e dot edu. For more information about advocacy and the Women and Gender Advocacy Center, go to www.wgac.colostate.edu. You can also find the WGAC on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. A big thank you to Xavier Hadley for creating the music used in the podcast and to our partnership with KCSU here at Colorado State University. For more KCSU content, go to kcsufm.com. Thank you so much for listening.